Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study. We're continuing in this really deep and beautiful prayer of Jesus, the High Priestly Prayer. So if you go to Mass today, you would hear from John chapter 17, verses 11b to verse 19. So we'll look at the reading first, and then we'll have a look at what the text is saying. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Holy Father, keep those you have given me true to your name, so that they may be one like us. While I was with them, I kept those you had given me true to your name. I have watched over them, and not one is lost, except the one who chose to be lost, and this was to fulfill the scriptures. But now I am coming to you, and while still in the world I say these things, to share my joy with them to the full. I passed your word on to them, and the world hated them, because they belong to the world no more than I belong to the world. I am not asking you to remove them from the world, but to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, so that they too may be consecrated in truth. So there's a whole lot of really interesting um, theological themes here about consecration, about the role of the Holy Spirit, about the role of the Apostles and the Trinity. And so, just like in the last few days, the comments that we make in this podcast, certainly not exhaustive. There's so much you could uh, take from this high prayer of Jesus. So let's start by asking what's the context? What has happened just before this? So it's Holy Thursday, the Last Supper has finished, and they're now walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And they might have, it's hard to tell, but it looks like Jesus and the apostles might have stopped somewhere to pray, somewhere outside maybe, or in someone's house. So Jesus started this high priestly prayer at the start of chapter 17, and you can look at yesterday's podcast if you want to have a look at that. And you'll remember that the focus of the first part of the prayer was asking the Father to watch over the apostles and to bring them to eternal life. And it's a similar theme that's continued today. Keep in mind, the focus is the apostles. At this point, it's on his present Uh, apostles, but later in the prayer, he'll extend his prayer out to all believers. Verse 11b, so the second half of verse 11 is where we start today. Jesus calls God Holy Father. So holy actually means set apart or sanctified, and that's actually the same word that he uses later. So Jesus is giving the Father this title of honor as being as part of his petitions. He's saying Holy Father um, as sort of a title of respect. Remember, holy means set apart, and that certainly is a great word to describe the Father. He says, keep those you have given me true to your name, or more literally, it says here, keep them in your name. So Jesus here is asking the Father to keep the apostles in line with the Father's will, despite the strong persecutions they're going to experience. Jesus knows what the apostles will be up against, and so that's the point of this prayer. He wants the Father to protect them and ensure that they remain in his will and don't fall away so that they may be one like us. So this is the first of four passages in John chapter 17, 
where Jesus prays for the unity of the disciples. You probably know that this prayer is famous for being where Jesus desires that his church is one. And this is the first of four petitions in this prayer about oneness. Why? Well, Jesus knows that the apostles are going to lead the church. And his desire is that they would be united in mission and will, just like the Father and the Son are united in mission and will. So everything that he's asking the apostles to have will derive from the communion that already exists between the Father and the Son. So he's asking the apostles to have a share of that divine life which already exists between him and the Father. The placement of this verse here, so that they may be one like us, given everything Jesus has said, it suggests that the reason Jesus needs to pray for their oneness is because their oneness could be threatened by apostasy. There's a chance that some of the apostles could fall away. That was something Jesus prayed about just prior to this. He knows that the devil and the world are going to tempt the apostles to possibly pull them away from the faith. And Jesus prays to the Father that that won't happen, that they would stay as one. So to the extent that the world's ways influence over Jesus' disciples in the form of division and discord and sin and scandal, the church's unity is weakened. And if the church's unity is weakened, then its power to witness to the world about the Father's love is compromised. So that's why Jesus is focusing on ensuring the oneness because of their mission to the world. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept those you had given me true to your name. So Jesus here says that during his own ministry, he kept the apostles faithful and in line with God's will. Remember, that's what name means. It means to do something in accordance with someone's authority and will. And Jesus has ensured that his apostles have stayed in line with God's will as much as possible by he's instructed them, he's corrected them when they've been wrong, and he's modeled God's love to them. So he's looked after them well. Notice this language here that keeps coming up in these last few chapters. Those you had given me. So the father chose the apostles to begin his kingdom and he gave them to the son's care. So the son here tells the father that he's fulfilled the mission of keeping the apostles in the father's will. It's pretty cool when you think about it. We, we often don't consider the apostles in that way, but these are 12 hand-picked men that God picked out of the world for the purposes of beginning the kingdom of God. And he gave them to Jesus to look after. Jesus continues, I have watched over them and not one is lost. More literally here, it says guarded them. So Jesus has watched and guarded the apostles and ensured that they remain in the sheepfold and within eternal life. Remember in John chapter 10 about the parable of the good shepherd, where it's all about the sheep, those who do God's will, staying within the sheepfold and not being deceived. So this is continuing the themes of the parable of the good shepherd. Remember in chapter 10, Jesus said, no one can take them out of my hand and no one can take them out of the father's hand. So it's the same sort of themes coming up here. Jesus has ensured that he's protected them and kept them safe in the sheepfold. But then he adds this in, except the one who chose to be lost. So one of the apostles chose to be lost, and that's Judas. He turned his back on Jesus. By, by this time, he's actually left to go betray Jesus. So by betraying Jesus, he turned his back on God's will, and he's outside the sheepfold. He no longer has access to eternal life, it would seem. Notice the language here, the one who chose to be lost. Although he was influenced by Satan... He still chose voluntarily to turn against Jesus. 
Now, a more literal translation of this phrase, rather than the one who chose to be lost, it actually says son of perdition or son of destruction. And basically that phrase means the one who is destined for destruction. So quite strong language there. In fact, that same title is used later in the New Testament to refer to the final Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the same title is used. That's not to imply that Judas is the Antichrist, but they're both destined for destruction in a similar way. Jesus says this was to fulfill the scriptures. So Jesus teaches that Judas's apostasy and betrayal was actually predicted by the scriptures. And part of God's plan was that those predictions had to be fulfilled. In fact, in chapter 13, verse 18, we saw Jesus quoted one specific passage from the Old Testament to show how Judas's betrayal fulfills it. So um, Psalm 41.10 says, Someone who shares my table rebels against me. And Jesus quotes that in connection with how Judas betrays him at the Last Supper. We looked at that when we covered chapter 13. Verse 13, Jesus says, But now I am coming to you. And this is a reference to Jesus' ascension when he returns to the Father. And while still in the world, I say these things to share my joy with them to the full. Or it's another translation is to have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus here says that everything he's been saying in the last few hours on Holy Thursday is so that the apostles' joy might be full. Jesus wants to ensure that the apostles have access to the best possible gifts after he's gone which includes a share of Jesus' own joy, and Jesus' own joy comes from a result of his deep union with the Father. See how all these themes come together. Verse 14, I passed on your word to them. So Jesus says he communicated to the apostles everything he heard from the Father, and the world hated them because they belonged to the world no more than I belong to the world. This is something Jesus talked about in chapter 15, verse 18. The world at large hated Jesus. Jesus has already said this specifically because he convicted them of their sin. Because the apostles were Jesus' followers, the world hated the apostles too. Now, remember, this is about the apostles. It's not about all Christian believers, although you possibly could extend it out. On a literal sense, Jesus at the moment is thinking of the apostles. Verse 15, I am not asking you to remove them from the world. This is interesting, and this is you probably heard that common phrase, Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And it's based on um, themes from this verse here. I'm not asking you to remove them from the world. So Jesus knows that the world is hostile to the apostles, but he does not want the Father to take them out of the world. He knows that the apostles need to stay in the world to keep preaching the kingdom. That's not why he's making the prayer. He doesn't want them taken out of the world but to protect them from the evil one. So that's the point of his prayer. He's asking that the Father would protect the apostles as much as possible from the worst kind of evil, and that's Satan himself. Now, the last phrase of the Our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. More literally, it can be rendered, um, deliver us from the evil one. And so this is a similar thought to the last line of the Our Father. We pray that the Father would keep us protected from Satan. Satan is the one who's ultimately behind all of the persecution of Christians. He's the primary adversary against the kingdom of God. So ultimately, Jesus is asking the Father to prevent the apostles from being persecuted by Satan directly. 
not asking them to be spared of all troubles, but to have some sort of special divine protection from Satan. And in the apostolic age, the Holy Spirit is the one that grants them this protection. Later, the author here, John, would reflect on this. In 1 John 5 verse 18, he says, The one begotten by God he protects, and the evil one cannot touch him. So John certainly found this to be true through experience. Verse 17, now we get this language of consecration. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. So consecrate, another word for that is sanctify. And this is language of liturgy and priesthood. It's liturgical language. Things which are consecrated or sanctified are things which are set apart for the service of God. So we're starting to see this kind of priestly language come through in the high priestly prayer. So when Jesus says, your word is truth, that means the Father's will and teachings are the truth. And Jesus tells the Father, please consecrate them in the truth. So Jesus is asking that the Father would continue to teach the apostles his word and to set them apart for the purposes of teaching it. He wants the apostles to be consecrated, to be set apart for the preaching of God's kingdom. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus was the Father's apostle. We don't often think about it that way, but it's true. Jesus was the apostle sent from the Father to earth to bring the kingdom of God into the world. And now Jesus sends out the apostles to continue that same apostolic mission. Notice the intimate connection between Jesus' mission and the apostles' mission. That's a consistent theme in the Gospels. Sometimes you'll hear some Christians say that Jesus had a particular mission, but the apostles, and particularly Peter and Paul, had quite a different mission. I don't think that can hold up. When we look at the language that the Gospels use, clearly the apostles are continuing the very same mission that Jesus had, which is to expand the kingdom of God. Verse 19, And for their sake I consecrate myself. Or more literally, and this is a better translation, I think, I consecrate myself for them. This is probably a reference to Jesus' death on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross, it's a sacrifice of love where Jesus is both the priest and the offering. How incredible is that? And Jesus knows that that's coming. Jesus is set apart. He's sanctified or consecrated for the work of redemption and salvation. So he truly is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. His life is set apart for the purposes of the church. And in fact, as Catholics, we believe that Jesus' life-giving sacrifice, where he set himself apart for the world, continues to be made present and effective through the Eucharist. And we certainly see that that was happening for the apostles in the book of Acts. And Jesus goes on, so that they too may be consecrated in truth. So the idea here is when the apostles hear Jesus' teachings about God and his truth, they will understand God's will and they will be set apart to preach God's will to others. Romans later actually says this about the apostles. They are set apart for the priestly service of the gospel. That's in Romans 15 verse 16. And that's essentially what the apostles did. If you follow their career in the book of Acts, they went around preaching the kingdom of God both orally and in writing, they communicated God's will. We see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, where it clearly says the apostles both spoke and wrote down God's words. So that's all we'll do today for the great high priestly prayer, although we'll continue looking at the text in the coming days. 
So this appears a few times in the Catechism. I'll just look at a few paragraphs, um, but I'll include as many of these as we can in the show notes so that you can reflect on them yourself. Paragraph 2750, and this is a commentary on the Great High Priestly Prayer. It says, By entering into the holy name of the Lord Jesus, we can accept from within the prayer he teaches us, our Father. His priestly prayer fulfills from within the great petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Concern for the Father's name, passionate zeal for his kingdom, the accomplishment of the will of the Father, of his plan of salvation, and deliverance from evil. So here the Catechism teaches that the great high priestly prayer in John 17 is very similar in theme to the Our Father prayer that Jesus gave the apostles. It covers very similar ground, although it's elaborated more in John 17. Paragraph 2849 is a commentary on Lead Us Not Into Temptation. In this petition to our Heavenly Father, Christ unites us to his battle and his agony. He urges us to vigilance of the heart in communion with his own. Vigilance is custody of the heart, and Jesus prayed for us to the Father. Keep them in your name. Paragraph 2812, this is about the line of the Our Father, Hallowed be thy name. Finally, in Jesus, the name of the Holy God is revealed and given to us in the flesh as Saviour, revealed by what he is, his word and by his sacrifice. This is the heart of his priestly prayer. Holy Father, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. Because he sanctifies his own name, Jesus reveals to us the name of the Father. At the end of Christ's Passover, the Father gives him the name that is above all names. Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So that paragraph is a really nice commentary on the name of God and what it means for that to be hallowed or sanctified. Paragraph 858, this is about the apostles. It says, Jesus is the Father's emissary. From the beginning of his ministry, he called to him those whom he desired, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to preach. From then on, they would also be his emissaries, Greek apostoloi. In them, Christ continues his own mission. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. The Apostles' ministry is the continuation of his mission. Jesus said to the twelve, He who receives you, receives me. And then lastly, this is in connection with the Eucharist, and in particular the Last Supper, paragraph 611, says the Eucharist that Christ institutes at that moment will be the memorial of his sacrifice. Jesus includes the Apostles in his own offering and bids them to perpetuate it. By doing so, the Lord institutes his apostles as priests of the new covenant. For their sake I sanctify myself, so that they may also be sanctified in truth. So the Catholic Church teaches that at the Last Supper, when Jesus does the Eucharist, he makes the apostles priests. And here the Catechism links this idea of them becoming priests to them becoming sanctified as priests of the new covenant. So, another fascinating um, part of the end of the Gospel of John here. We'll continue in the coming days, but if you've learned something new, then I'd appreciate it if you could tell others about the podcast. Please consider partnering with this ministry. Help us produce more good resources to get the word out there more. We're already producing a podcast every single day. 
So if you believe this ministry is worth investing in, please consider partnering with us. And you can see more information about that at the Patreon page. There's a link to that in the show notes. And there you can see all of the bonus content which will be available to you if you do decide to become a partner of the ministry. Thank you. We'll see you again tomorrow.